You are listening to Pastor Scott Rising of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Let's Get Real, recorded on February the 19th, 2017. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Scott as he preaches. Good morning, church. How y'all doing this morning? Well, listen, so I hope that you have been enjoying the sermon series entitled Faith That Works uh, as we work through the book of James. I know that I myself have been greatly challenged and encouraged in many ways, particularly last week when I had the opportunity to preach how there's no room for partiality within the church. And I got to thinking, in that sermon, I really should have warned you all not to show partiality uh, even between Pastor Scott and myself. You know... The temptation to show partiality, it can happen, uh, you know, between the rich and the poor. It can happen between the Jew and the Gentile. But the Apostle Paul tells us it can even happen between preachers. And uh, matter of fact, that led him to correct the Corinth church. Uh, he, He called them a bunch of spiritual babies, a bunch of spiritual infants, because they were showing partiality between Paul and Apollos. And, um, you know, I got to thinking, you know... I should, you know, I should have told you that last week in that sermon. So be on guard for that. The temptation is real. It's real indeed. Because let's be real. Um, I am the beloved pastor of Harvest Community Church. And so, I mean, I know you're going to want to show partiality uh, to me. Because, but, but listen, it, remember, it's not about Pastor Scott. It's not about Pastor Kevin. It's not about Pastor Mike. It's not about anybody but Jesus Christ and him alone. All right. So listen, just because, Justin, I barely kept that together. Listen, if you're here and you know Pastor Fred, then you know I'm not him. If you're a first-time visitor, you're like, what's going on? I don't understand what's so funny. But, But here's the thing. I can tell by the concern on some of your faces, you're like, oh, maybe he really hit his head hard in that wreck. Like, I don't know whether we should laugh. I mean, this dude might have some serious issues, and, and know that this dude does. Um, but I do know who I am this morning, and we're good. Um, you know, the thing is, if you, if you know Pastor Fred, you realize for sure I'm not him. Even though, even though, let's, let's, let's get serious, I'm about the same height as him. I'm about the same size and weight, although I heard something mysterious happens up here when I step on stage. I look bigger. Um, We're both strikingly handsome, although according to Pastor Fred, the real Pastor Fred, not as pretty as Pastor Dave in his last sermon he had mentioned. Um, But I didn't fool anybody. I mean, I didn't fool anybody here today that knows Pastor Fred because it doesn't take long to figure out I'm not him because I make a horrible counterfeit of Pastor Fred. But see, not all counterfeits are easy to spot. Some, man, some really pass for the real thing. And that's ultimately James' concern in the in the spot where we're at in the book of James today. See, we've heard we've heard all throughout his letter so far, we've heard that that he was concerned of how we were going to respond in the midst of trials. Then we heard he he was really concerned that were we going to give in to these temptations that come around us in our life in the midst of these trials. And then we heard, listen, I want you to hear the word, 
But man, do the word, because if not, you're deceiving yourself. And then last week from the real pastor, Fred, he, he was saying there's no room for partiality. There's no room for favorites within the church. That would be a total mishandling of the gospel, which lays us all flat, right? And so today, today we're going to meet the height of James' concern, which is this. If I could attempt to summarize it, I would say this. Genuine saving faith produces obedient followers of Jesus who love God and others. Counterfeit faith, on the other hand, may know true things about God, but that faith has done nothing to transform how they live or love, because that faith, their faith, is dead and useless. That packs a punch. This whole text is going to do that, because today James is not going to pull any punches in the Word of God. Matter of fact, he's taking off the gloves, and he's gone for the jugular. But know this, James loves the church. He's not trying to hurt the church. As a matter of fact, he's trying to attempt to love them with truth and with grace. He wants them to grow up into maturity, into faith, into good works, into love, which glorifies God. Because here's the thing, it appears as though some in the church claim to have a faith, but in all actuality, they do not. It's fake. And this was a concern then. It remains a concern now. Because I think you and I would agree, I think we would agree that it's easy to say you're a Christian. I mean, it's easy to to look at a survey and check the box saying, yep, I'm a Christian. It's, it's, It's easy to have some bumper stickers saying, I love Jesus, right? It It's easy to be on Facebook and every time you see something that says something about Jesus that you can hit like or type amen. You know, or my favorite, like you see this picture of a Jesus that looks like Obi-Wan Kenobi from Star Wars and it's like, if you don't hit like and type amen and share it, well then we know you're a counterfeit because all Jesus people would do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we could do these things And, 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 and here's the thing. We could do all these things and still not know Jesus in a saving way. And that's James' concern. So you could do all these things and have never really placed your faith and trust in Jesus for your salvation. And so that's James' concern. It is the height of his concern. So let's, let's jump into the text today. Let's let the Word of God speak to us. Let's let the Word of God read us. And let's see if we indeed have genuine faith that can just rest in the finished work of Christ. Or maybe, maybe we have a fraudulent faith, a counterfeit. Let's go to verse 14 in chapter 2. James starts, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? You know, what, what good is it, church, if someone says they have faith but they have no deeds or no action to show a tra- transformed life and how they live? Can that faith save them? And James is like, no. No, that faith cannot. Now, I want to give a disclaimer right up front. James is not saying or arguing that we must add things to our faith in order to be saved. That would be a complete misunderstanding of the gospel. Nothing needs to be added to the perfect work of Christ. It is finished. And what an error it would be to say that we need to trust Jesus and do some things in order to be saved. That's not what is being said. Lots of dead in faith people do lots of good things to the world. 
Lots of people do good deeds and they don't know Jesus. See, you and I could feed and clothe the whole world, know the Bible inside and out, had been baptized at an early age, done all the memory verses, never missed Sunday school, never dated a girl who cussed or smoked, never smoked or cussed myself, and none of those things in and of themselves are going to do anything to save your soul. It's by faith alone. And see, the gospel, here's the thing though, the gospel that saves us, that saves us, the real one, the good news, is one of grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And I think everybody here would say, amen, period. And this text does not say anything to the contrary. But James's point is this, if you've experienced new birth through this real genuine faith by grace alone, in Christ alone, well then, it's going to show itself in action of love towards God and others. This faith, it will not remain alone. That's his whole point. Now, it's going to be real important to understand something. It's going to be real important that when we see the word works in and through this text, you could literally, it does not mean works of the law. It does not mean circumcision. It does not mean Levitical code. It, it means deeds or action. So make sure you keep that in your mind. It means the outworking of our faith in and through our life. And the point is simple, that genuine biblical faith will always show itself in love for God and love for others. Jesus himself says, you will know my disciples by how they love one another. The Apostle Paul said that, listen, neither circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything. Or you could say religious or irreligious counts for anything. But only faith working itself out in love. He says that in Galatians chapter 5. And, and we, we love, Christians, listen, we love not in order to get love. That's a twisted love. We love because we've been loved infinitely in the gospel, and we understand that. And then that, that, that working of love shows itself in how we live and how we love one another. See, the gospel that is life-giving is love-producing. And if not, will you believe something that is not good news, my friend? So, if you have not loved God and others, that's not a good sign. And, and, that, and so, all right, what's that look like? What does that look like in everyday life? Well, James is so kind that he gives us an example. So look at verse 15 and 16 in chapter 2. He says this. He says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without actually giving them anything they need for the body. He's like, what good is that? What good is that? Obviously, it's not good, which is why counterfeit faith always reveals itself in lip service love, not a love that actually meets the needs of others. I mean, picture the audacity that is set before us. Picture it. You have a brother or sister knocking on your door. They have no clothing, right? They have no food in order to live. And, and you answer the door, and here's your response to this needy person. You're like, oh, oh, go in peace, brother. Go in peace, sister. Oh, oh, be warmed and filled. God bless you. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. That was extremely helpful. Said no one ever in the midst of hard times. What good is that, James says? What good is that? He, it's, it's, listen, I don't think it takes rocket scientists to figure this out. 
It's not good. I mean, sure, they use some flowery church language to send them on their way, but that still does not help the person. It it helps them zero. Probably actually rubs a little salt in the wound. And here's the thing. If we look at this go in peace, it has the language of prayer, which I find really interesting. So get this. These Christians are actually praying that God will help these people in need, which by that, by the way, that in and of itself That's a good thing. I think we'd all agree with that. Heck, it's a great thing, but it does miss the point. The point is that in and of itself, it's incomplete because, listen, the church is the means of the prayer being answered. So they knocked on that person's door, right? It's good to trust God to be the one who provides, but know this, God most normatively chooses the church to be the one who provides the clothing and the warm meal if it's in your fridge or if it's in your closet, right? Take it out of the fridge, shove it in the microwave, let them shove it in their mouth, and now you can say, be filled. But if you've not done that and you have the ability and the things to do that, man, what good is that? James is like, it's not. And and here's the thing. I know, listen, I know God does not need us to do anything. God does not need us at all. If he wanted to, he could have a pink unicorn come down from heaven on a rainbow cloud and shoot food and clothing out of its magical little horn and feed the world. He could do that. He has that power. But that's not what he's done as of yet. And if he chooses to do that, that's awesome. I can't wait to see that. But until he does that, it's my guess and understanding that he's chose the church to do this. And and so here's the thing. Listen, church, we get the opportunity. We can't feed and clothe the whole world. It's just not going to happen. But those who knock on our door, those in our midst, those in our community, man, we should strive to do everything we can to love them in a tangible way for their good, for our joy, for God's glory. Which is why Martin Luther said this. He said, God does not need your good works, but your neighbor does. But your neighbor does. And so if the extent of our Christian faith is just wishing people wow, like wishing them really well, right, in the midst of great suffering, even though we have the means and the ability to help them, man, that should serve as something that has gone wrong. There's a defect. So what good is that, James says? What good is that? Answer, It's not good. Worse yet, that type of faith is dead. See, words of love and care that never actually show themselves in action are just empty and of no value. They're useless. They mean nothing. And on the surface, sure, they sound fine. But in reality, they actually speak extremely loudly. And here's what they say. I don't care. I don't care. And the gospel, see, the thing is, the gospel that brings life and liberty always shows itself in love that is willing to be stretched and willing to be burdened. Real love will cost us. Real love will challenge us. It will make us uncomfortable because if we could be real, people are a pain, right? Like, I'm a pain, you're a pain. There's people in your life that are real easy to love, and then there's the rest, which is the majority, and they're not easy to love. And Christ says, love them. Remember how I've loved you in the gospel. You were a pain. (laughs) But I loved you in spite of you because I'm full of love. I'm a good and gracious God. And now the Holy Spirit, which resides in you, well, that's me. That's my power. So go love. You can do this. I can do this in and through you. Trust me. Which is why the Apostle uh, John said this in 1 John 3, 16 and 18. He says, by this we know love. 
that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. See, the gospel is the supreme display of God's love. It is selflessness on display. And for those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus and repented of their sins, they will show this in the way they love. Although not perfectly, we know that. It's going to be imperfectly shown all the day long. But genuine faith will produce in a person love, humility, kindness, self-denial, a forgiving heart, among many other things. We see that in the life of a believer because genuine faith works. It works. You can trust that. You can take it to the bank. It's going to happen. If it's real, it will produce. The Holy Spirit will produce these things in and through the life of a believer. It should remain normative uh, that a Jesus follower does all they can to serve one another in the church and to love them in a, in a variety of ways, including practically. Not to get love, but from a heart that understands it's infinitely loved in the gospel and in the good news of Christ. And if not, listen, if you have no love for the church, and when I say the church, I mean the people of God. I mean the people who, who profess to know Jesus as their Savior. If you have no love for them, That's not a good sign. Worse yet, worse yet, if your faith in Christ has done nothing to change how you love the church, well, Jesus would say, uh, it's dead. And James says the same thing. Look at verse 17. He says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. What good is faith without action? It's not good. It's dead. It's a fraud. It's a counterfeit. If the gospel has had no effect on how you love, then it's probably had zero effect upon your soul. Because real genuine faith always acts. Real genuine faith loves tangibly, although imperfectly. So, okay, man, it's like, all right, we got you, James. We're good. James said some difficult things here, right? No doubt. I said some difficult things. Now, there's no doubt this would arrest the attention of those hearing this letter being read. I mean, imagine this. You know that's how it would happen. Someone would get up, they would have this letter from James, they'd stand up, the church would gather, and they would start reading it. Now, they might have read it beforehand, I don't know. But there's people that are going to hear it for the first time. And they know James. And, and they start reading it, and they're like, your faith is dead. And you can imagine, man, like people are starting to sit up a little straighter. They're starting to listen probably a little more intently. And there might even be some people that are sitting in their seats and they're like, oh, 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 I bet that was for Carlos. I bet that was for Carlos because, you know, I went to his house and he gave me nothing on a Sunday when I was looking for a steak. You know that was for him. I'm glad James got that in there. James got my letter and he's, he's telling the church. But now here's the thing. I'll bet, I'll bet, listen. There's probably some that are sitting there and the Holy Spirit's doing a great work and he's starting to just cut people at the heart. And, and, and it's showing, man, maybe, I, maybe I have been a little bit of a fraud in my life. And the Holy Spirit's doing this good work of conviction and, and it's starting to bring about repentance, which is going to bring about peace and life and change, which is going to bring God tons of glory. But then, there's no doubt that there are those that are in the attendance who are not humbling themselves. No, no, actually they're stiffing their neck. They're ready to pick a fight with every word that James has to say. And, and so James, 
anticipates this argumentative person. And a matter of fact, he creates the argument in the letter so he can deal with this person if this person does exist. And so listen to what he says in verse 18. He says, but someone, I don't know, Carlos, right? Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Okay, James is like, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Now listen, get what's being said here. It's tricky. This antagonist, in a sense, is saying, oh, oh, James, Jimmy, Pastor Jim, hey man, listen, you've got your faith, and I've got my works. It's cool, right? And, and listen, we all show our faith differently. No big deal. Some through works, some through studies. You know, you got those social justice Christians. They're just wanting to do everything and save the world. They're doing all these little marches. But then you've got these theological guys, you know, who, who are just studying. And ultimately, listen, I just trust that God's going to get it done, you know, because he's sovereign. So, so, you know, some show their faith in, uh, you know, works. Some show it in, you know, what they know about God. We all show our faith differently. It's no big deal. Some are into doing, some are into studying, while trusting God, while doing nothing. You say the glass is half full, I say it's half empty. You say tomato, I say tomato. You say potato, I say potato. Who cares, right? We all show our faith differently, right, Pastor James? And James is like, "Mm, not so much. See, this type of nonsense does not sit well with James, which is why he responds. He's like, show me your faith apart from your works. Show me. Come on, big boy, show me. And he's like, and I will show you my faith by my works. He is saying, listen, that there are not those who do and those who just don't and study. He's, he's saying both of those in and of themselves would be incomplete. No, he's saying there are those who have genuine faith. And that genuine faith will show itself in how we live and how we love. And then there are those who have a counterfeit faith. And all it does is talk. It never transforms their life in how they love God or in how they love others. See, true genuine faith can always be seen. It can be seen in real love for God and real love for others. Real faith is shown in, in doing what we say we believe, although imperfectly. We're never going to do it perfectly. We rest in the perfect righteousness of Christ. But that rest leads to a holy striving to love God and to love others. James is not done, though. Look what he says in verse 19. He says, okay, all right, listen, Mr. Orthodox, you believe that God is one. You do well. Good job. Hey, uh, by the way, even demons believe and shudder. Ouch, right? He's like, listen, counterfeit faith reveals itself in having head knowledge of doctrine but no real love for God and no real love for others. I mean, you get what he's saying. He's like, listen, Mr. Orthodox, listen, you have all your right thinking about what the Bible teaches good. As a matter of fact, as your pastor, I would say we should all strive for that. That's a good thing. I'm with you. But if you think that because you can restate some truth claims that that means that you're in the camp, that because you believe certain truths about God, that that means you're saved, Well, I got some bad news for you if that's what you're hanging your eternity on. That's incomplete because even demons, even demons believe right things about God and their belief in that makes them shudder. It makes them tremble 
when they think about this holy and righteous God. And that trembling never leads to their salvation. I mean, demons are not going to be in heaven. You know that, Mr. Orthodox. You know that, right? See, no doubt, demons are doctrinally sound, and yet they will not be saved. Demons know who Jesus is. We see it all throughout the Scriptures. Just look at Mark 1, 23 and 24. He says, And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he, he cried out. He says, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. See, Here's a terrifying thing. Hell will be full of people who believed correct in certain things about God, but had no real faith in Jesus for their salvation. That's what James is saying. That's a terrifying thought. It's a terrifying thought. See, Satan and his demonic army know that there's only one God, and they know that Jesus is the Savior of the world, so much that it causes them to shake and to tremble. But, But here's the thing, you can have correct doctrine, you can have correct sound demonic faith, and it could mean nothing to save you. That's James's point. It is, listen, it's been said this, it's been said that there are no atheists in the demonic realm. They know. They know. And and so James, listen, James is insisting that correct beliefs about God in and of themselves is insufficient. Yes, correct belief is absolutely important and necessary, but in and of itself it is not the same thing as salvation. Demons have better theology than you and I do. You could bet your bottom dollar on that. And they're not saved. So James continues. James says in verse 20, he says, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? Do you want to be shown? Okay. That faith apart from works is useless? I'll show you. I'm going to teach you. Are you ready to listen? Those who want to argue that, listen, those who want to argue that they are indeed wrong, James is going to teach them. And and like any good pastor, you know what he's going to do? He's going to say, let's open your Bibles. And I'm going to show you in the Word of God. And to do this, James is going to have us look at Abraham and Rahab. Because the way to expose a counterfeit is not to study the fake, but to know the real. Right? I mean, that's how you knew I was not Pastor Fred. I didn't fool anyone because you know Pastor Fred. And you're like, "Eh, you make a horrible Pastor Fred. I would agree. You know what he looks like. You know what he sounds like. On and on. I didn't fool anyone. But here's the thing. I remember one time being in a loss prevention meeting. And at this meeting, the loss prevention manager passed around a $100 bill. that was, One was fake and one was real. And he was telling us to write which one we thought was fake, which one we thought was real, and why. So he passes these around, and all these managers are sitting there, and we're checking them out. And, and i got to tell you, we, we did really bad. Um, we did really bad. And so I thought, well, you know what he's going to do to help us all figure this out. We're going to be studying fake ones all day. He's going to be passing around showing us why they're fake and this and that. But we did not look at one fake $100 bill the rest of the day. And I thought, well, that's interesting. We didn't study color shifting. We didn't study watermarks. We didn't study the fiber quality. No, our training consists of one thing. You know what it consisted of? Looking at real $100 bills. Man, we looked at them, we studied them, we inspected them, we touched them, we smelled them. I got more close to a $100 bill that I wasn't going to get to take home in that day than I ever did in any other day in my entire life. And, and why? Why? Because here's the thing. If you're going to know the genuine, if you really know the genuine, man, you'll never accept a counterfeit. You just won't. 
Because you'll know. You'll know as soon as you see it. And you're like, no, that's, that's not genuine. That's not real. So to teach us what genuine faith looks like, James picks two genuine examples. And, and in one corner, we have the super Jew, Abraham. And in the other corner, we have the super sinner, Rahab. And, and what I love is these two could not be further apart. But the one thing they do have in common is they have faith that works, right? Abraham's a Jewish man. Rahab is a, she's a Gentile woman. Uh, Abraham was rich. She was poor. He was a patriarch. She was a prostitute. Yet they did have in common a faith, a genuine faith, and a trust that God was good and that he rewards those who seek him. So you see, right, you see genuine faith in a radical obedience to God that produces a love for him, and a love for others. So let's look at Abraham first. So, verses 21 through 24, he says this, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was or is active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now let me be super careful here. Or we could get everything twisted up and start teaching things that the Bible does not teach. The question is this. Which came first? Abraham obeying God in his actions in order to be made right with God for his approval. Or Abraham being made righteous through faith alone. And then the proof of that showing itself in a life that was shown in obedience, although imperfectly, if you know Abraham. See, prior to being counted righteous uh, in God's sight through believing in God, Abraham was a spiritually dead man, wandering around the land of Ur. And, and, and listen, that's where, and he was apart from God, he was separated from God, and that's where he would have lived, remained, and died had God not miraculously intervened in his life in a major way. And God did that. God called Abraham out from his homeland in Ur, and, and he tells him to go to a land that he will show to him. And God then promises to bless him and make him a blessing to all the peoples of the world. And by God's grace, Abraham trusted and obeyed God. And we see that in Genesis 12, 4, where after God called Abraham, he went as the, the Lord had told him. He went, he acted. The, this act of faith was so impressive that the, the, the writer of Hebrews put Abraham in the hall of faith. Look at Hebrews eleven eight. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, and here's the thing. Listen, Abraham cannot take credit for this type of faith. It's a gift of grace. Yet, yet, he did have to express it through obedience. He did have to show it was true. He showed it was true by going and by trusting God in that moment. And when he did, James reminds us this. Abraham, he reminds us of Genesis 15, 6. He says this, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. God counted him as righteous by faith alone. He was made right with God because he believed the promises of God. And in that moment, he went from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God, to being a son of God, to being a patriarch of those who are going to come to know Jesus and to be friends of God as well. 
See, the thing is, Abraham, you and I, man, we need to add nothing to our faith to be made right with God. It's not faith plus Jesus in something that will make you right with God. It's not faith plus your obedience. It's not faith plus loving others perfectly. No. It's faith alone. And if it, if it were, our boy Abraham would have been in a lot of trouble, if you remember. Because I, I can think of a couple of times in my own memory where Abraham was a complete failure of a man of God at times. There was two times I can think of alone where he tried to pimp out his wife Sarah to save his own hide. Right? Oh, and that was as a man of God. Then there was the time where he and Sarah came up with a pretty cockamamie idea to not trust God and to take matters in their own hand. And we know how that ended with Hagar. So it's faith. But man, this faith progresses. It grows. And it shows. And we see that faith was real and working. Because that faith, listen... That faith that would save would never remain alone if indeed it was genuine. God in his grace would continue to grow Abraham and the proof of that genuine faith would show itself in Abraham trusting God in the most radical of ways. You see, Abraham's faith was genuine because it was active and we see that most clearly in Genesis 22 when Abraham prepared to sacrifice Isaac, his son, in obedience to God. And we see that the Bible said that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That faith always proves itself when Abraham trusted, it, trusted God and was willing to obey God in the most difficult of times. James even says that faith was or is active along with his works. And his faith was completed by his works. He could have never obeyed such a radical command if he did not trust and believe God in that moment. But he did. He did. If, if he wouldn't have, it would have shown in that moment. It would have shown to be a bunch of hot air. But it didn't. He trusted. And he obeyed. How about Rahab? James 2.25 says this, And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. How about this Gentile prostitute Rahab? Was she made right with God by trusting or was she made right by her actions and doing all the right things and then God you know, giving her a justification. Of course not. No, no. We come to meet Rahab in chapter 2 of Joshua, where if you remember, the people of God are entering Jericho, and, and they're, they're going to the promised land, but they've got to go through here, and, and we see they send spies out into the city before the battle is waged. And during their time, they meet a lady of the night, and her name is Rahab. And the news is starting to move in and throughout the city that there are spies within the city. So the authorities send out people to go around house to house and see what's going on and they end up knocking on Rahab's door and if you remember she sends the enemy spies and the authorities off in the wrong direction the question is why'd she do this why did she do this answer faith faith she heard amazing stories of this amazing God and she thought man if this God can save his people and I've heard how he saves his people this God is real all the other gods they don't exist if he can do that for his people maybe he'll make me his people I'm going to trust him because the life I'm living right now is not a good life so I'm going to believe that God will do this and she proclaims that she proclaims that in Joshua 2:11 when she says the Lord your God he is he is God in the heaven above and on the earth beneath. 
He is God. Rahab declares her faith outwardly. And then she shows that trust in God here and displays it when she hid the spies and sent the authorities off in another direction. She never would have risked her life in that moment if she didn't believe that God was going to do something to save her. So her faith acted. It showed. It showed herself as being in the faith and genuine. And the writer of Hebrews He's like, man, you're going in there. Hebrews 11.31, he says this, By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. See, the, the point is this. Genuine faith, genuine saving faith always proves itself in what we do, not just in what we say. If our faith is genuine, it will show itself in what we do and how we live, although imperfectly. Imperfectly. We're not talking about loving God and loving others perfectly. You can't do that. I can't do that. Christ did that. We trust in him. But, but Martin Luther says this. He says, we're saved by faith alone. And I'm like, amen. He says, but that faith that saves is never alone. It's never alone. And I would say, amen to that. See, a person who says they have faith, but that faith never shows itself in a changed lifestyle that glorifies God or loves God or loves others, man, it's a joke. It's just a joke. And, and church is a silly game to play. There's got to be something else you could be doing. I'm I'm not trying to thin out the, the crowd here, but listen, here's the deal. If you don't really love God and you just do this to check it off your list, there's got to be something different out there. And, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. God knows. God knows. Man, you could fool us. I could fool you. Judas fooled a lot of people. But God knows, and he can see. See, here's the thing. Not only is it a joke, but worse yet, it's dead. It's lifeless. It's workless. It's worthless. And in all actuality, it's not faith at all. It's a counterfeit. And if that's you, listen. This is God's kindness and mercy to be in this moment right now. This is God's kindness. If he revealed that to you, today's the day of salvation. Put your faith and trust in him. But James is not done. There's another verse, and he says this. He says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. I think it's been said many ways. I think it's, it's clear. What he's saying is genuine faith shows itself. It acts. It responds. It does something. If not, it's not genuine faith that you have. And so the concern then and now is this. If if you have no genuine love for God and no genuine love for God, other than, listen, and what I mean by that is there's lots of people that express that they have faith and trust in God because they think of him as some genie in the bottle when they need him. Yeah, I love God now because I need something. Help me out. Here's my prayer. But you don't really love him. Like, you don't want to spend time with him or know him. And you only love people as a means to get where you're going. That's not love. That's not love. And so let that hurt. Let it sink. As I'm preparing this, as I'm praying, and as I'm writing, man, God's just like, ah, to me. Because if this word never changes my heart, I have no right to get up here and preach. And so lay yourself out before him. Lay yourself out and, and say this. If that's you, if that's you, 
Stop calling yourself a Christian. Just stop. Or become one. How do I become one? Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your perfect righteousness. And listen, be transformed in a moment. You go in your new creation. See, new creations don't have to think, oh, i got to love God and i got to love others. They just are. Have you ever seen an ugly, fat little caterpillar go to a butterfly and never think, man, i got to get wings. they got wings. You're born again. And, and listen, as a brand new born again Christian, you're going to make messes. <laughs> Don't I know? I make messes all the time still. But you're new and you're his. And he's going to work in and through you. And he's going to continue to transform you. And that transformation will show itself in love for him that shows itself in love for others. So church, get to know him. And if you're here and you've been playing a charade your whole life, okay, well maybe today's the day that that charade is up. Because if the Lord has exposed you, man, that's good. The Lord's doing a good work. Let it hurt and draw near to him. Humble yourself. Ask God for forgiveness. Confess your sin. Draw near to him. Say, Lord, make me new. But maybe you're here and, and you have been you haven't. You are a Christian, but you have a tender conscience. And you're like, I don't know if I am. Maybe i got to go do another altar call. No, no, no. Listen. If you are, and you just have a tender conscience, listen. Like God loves you. Ask him to continue to do this thing. And be reassured that he will. Because he who began this good work, he is faithful to bring it to completion. We serve a mighty God. We serve a mighty God who loves you. And that love is wonderfully displayed upon the cross of Jesus Christ. And we see the power when we look at the empty grave. And we say, hallelujah, I got an amazing God. He who began this good work will bring it to completion. I just trust him. And that trust will show itself in love for God and love for others. Cry out to this God. He will do it. He is faithful. Because the beauty of the gospel is it not only is it the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, whether you're a patriarch or whether you're a prostitute. But that same gospel that transfers us from the domain of darkness into his kingdom of his beloved son also transforms us. Because as James says, faith works. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.